Why should you pursue an intimate, permanent, durable relationship? Because you are reflecting the glory of God. Male and female, He created them. And as they relate to one another in the context of marriage, it gives the world an opportunity to see something that looks like God. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. Well, last week we heard part one of the first message in a series called Marriage Matters. We learned that biblical marriage is under attack both from the outside and from the inside. In today's message, we'll return to Matthew chapter 19 as Pastor Trent tells us why the Pharisees were asking Jesus the wrong question when they asked him, is it lawful to divorce? So let's open our Bibles together and discover what they should have asked Jesus. Here's Pastor Trent. Look back at your Bible. In verse 3, again, the question is so important. The Pharisees came to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful? To divorce. Just stop right there. What were these guys looking for? They were looking for a loophole. They were looking for a way out. Wrong question. You see, you minimize marriage when you ask, is it lawful to divorce? You see, it reveals something about their idea of marriage. Their idea of marriage was what we'll call a performance-based relationship. If you're in a performance-based relationship, you know what you're going to do? You're going to be a scorekeeper. You're going to be a rule keeper, and you're going to try to outperform your spouse. And as long as you're outperforming your spouse, you're nicer, you're kinder, you're more sacrificial, you're more forgiving, and you point your finger at the failures of all the things that they're doing, all the laws they're breaking, then you're going to feel justified in pursuing a way out with the person who's losing. And you are going to emphasize a performance-based relationship. Wrong question. Don't ask, is it lawful for divorce? Here's a better option. Embrace a grace-based relationship with your spouse and ask this question. Is it graceful to forgive and forbear? Are you going to have a marriage based on law? Really? Really? That's what you want? You want to be a scorekeeper? Or do you want to be a grace finder and ask, is the grace of God required for my spouse to live with me? Do I want grace from my spouse? Do I want them to forgive and forbear? I know I'm not perfect. Then I've got to mirror that back to them. A grace-based relationship is one that asks the question, is it graceful to forgive and forbear? Don't rush to the lawkeeper performance-based question, is it lawful for divorce? In a performance-based relationship, you talk about these things. You say, you're to marry the one you love. Go out and go on a big search and find somebody that just really gives you emotional charge and, and get to know that person and then you marry them. That's a performance-based relationship. A grace-based relationship talks like this. Love the one you marry. Go find the person you married and love them. That's a different understanding of marriage. Performance-based relationship, we talk like this. It's love that holds your marriage together. Grace-based relationship says this. It's marriage that holds your love together. 
It's not based on feelings. Feelings come and go. It's based on grace. And if you ask the wrong question, you're going to come up with the wrong answer. These Pharisees were asking the wrong question. Jesus doesn't want to talk about divorce. Jesus wants to talk about marriage. And so he takes us all the way back to the Old Testament to understand that my marriage has a maker. That's point number two. My marriage has a maker. Do you see what Jesus does? He takes them right back to the first page of their Bibles. And instead of talking about this horizontal relationship in marriage, he takes them vertical and says, let's talk about the Creator. Do you know the story of creation? First three pages of your Bible. God spoke everything into being in six days, and Adam, the man formed out of the dust of the earth. And literally, you, do you believe that? Literal man, dust, rib, wife, literal marriage, literal serpent, literal fruit, literal curse. You, believe, you really believe all that? You see, if we're going to get the question, why marriage, right? We have to go back to the beginning and we have to grapple with these two options. Either God created man in his own image or man created God in his own imagination. Which is it? Did God create man? Or did man create God? Was marriage created? Or did it evolve? If it evolved, it's still evolving. If it was made, it has a maker. If it has a maker, the maker has a purpose. He has a reason why he made it male, female, one lifetime, one commitment, one flesh. And so if you don't take the first three pages of your Bible literally, how do you define anything? Do you even believe that there's such a thing as sin? Do you really think you need a Savior if it just kind of all evolved? Did Jesus believe in a literal Adam and a literal Eve? Absolutely. He tells us, it's like, let's go back to the beginning. Male and female, one flesh, it's all right there. Jesus believed in a literal marriage that was created by God. And so my marriage has a maker. And because it has a maker, I need to believe that marriage is designed by God and defined by God. Marriage is designed by God and defined by God. God could have made anything He wanted to. He chose to make a man and a woman distinct with differences and put them together in a relationship. He could have made anything. He could have made a principal and a teacher and created what? Come on, help me out. Principal, teacher, what do we create? Create a school. We educate people. He could have created... Um, a CEO and a COO, and created what? A corporation. He could have created a pastor and a worship leader, and created what? A church. He could have created a Democrat and a Republican, and created what? A mess. 
Just absolute chaos. So he didn't do that. Okay. So what did he create? He created a man and a woman, and he smashed them together and says, go, make babies. And that's how we're going to fill the planet with all these other males and females who will make babies and go. And it wasn't just a science project. God had a purpose. He had a design and He had a definition. And every other institution on the planet is dependent upon a stable, permanent, intimate, durable relationship of its people in husband-wife relationships. Marriage is not only designed by God and defined by God, marriage is recognized and regulated by the laws of people who invite God's blessing. Some people would say, what's the government doing in the marriage business anyway? Wait, why do we have marriage licenses and, and why do we have these laws on marriage and, and let's just get all, let's just get all that stuff out of the marriage. Government shouldn't even be regulating this stuff. Oh yes, it should. You say, well, we're a free people. You know, we, we ought to be able to do what we want to do. Listen, do you understand that the laws of a nation limit the freedom of some for the good of all? My, my, my 16-year-old daughter got her driver's license last month. Hundreds of dollars spent on two levels of driver education required by the state, before you can even come in here, you got to prove you can drive a car. You got to pay a certain amount of money. You got to take a test. You got to sign here and we'll take your picture and you're going to have to have that license presented anytime that a, an officer comes up to make sure that you are not violating the principles of the road. And she's like, well, it's a free nation. If I want to put it in reverse and drive 50 miles an hour backwards through a school zone, I ought to be able to do that. Or would it benefit the children in the playground if the state said, we have a few parameters. You're going to drive on the right side of the road. You're going to stop at those red stop signs. You're not going to go backwards 50 miles an hour through a school zone. Why? We're going to limit your freedom for the good of all. Any nation that wants the good of its people must limit the law, limit the freedom of a few. A few years ago, I, I was living in Buchanan, Michigan when I was uh, with Life Action Ministries. I'm not with them anymore. But anyway, uh, Life Action has a 170-acre campground property out in Buchanan, Michigan. Many of you have been there when we've done our baptisms there in August. And it's a beautiful property. And um, th there was a point in time when the, the township of Buchanan challenged the tax-exempt status of that property. And so there was a big lawsuit about what the purposes of it was, and they challenged the tax-exempt story. Long story short, is life action one, and that land is tax-exempt. Right after that lawsuit, I personally had to go into the tax assessor's office to file some paperwork on, uh, for something that, that I owned, and I, I, this lady knew I was with life action, the tax assessor, and, and she, she started to grumble about how the lawsuit went the wrong way. And I, I said, can, can I just give you a perspective? Do you understand what happens on that 170-acre campground? We bring in husbands and wives, moms and dads, and help them create an intimate, permanent, durable relationship in which those children can grow up in an environment that is safe and conducive for them to become tax-paying citizens. 
Do you understand how much money this government has to spend on welfare and entitlements and food stamps to take care of the children from broken families and single mothers who didn't have a father come alongside them and marry them and and provide for them and embrace their responsibility. We're saving you money by having that that, that property out there because we are building the very foundation of what a society is built on, mainly the first thing God created, marriage and family. Everything else unravels if those aren't healthy. So marriage should be recognized and regulated by the laws of people who invite God's blessing. So if you are a lawmaker, remember that. As long as they allow you to vote for the lawmakers, remember that. And remember this verse in Hebrews 13.4, let marriage be held in honor among all. That includes you single people. That includes those of you who've been divorced and widowed. Let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Why? Because He's trying to protect the very foundation for our good. When God says don't, He means don't hurt yourself. Thirdly, my marriage needs the right motivation. My marriage needs the right motivation. We're asking the question, why marriage? It's like, tell me how to do marriage. And we're going to get to that. Let's get the question right. Why marriage? Why should I be motivated to pursue an intimate, permanent, durable relationship? Here's why. Because God created man in his own image. Jesus quotes here, From the first page of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, he actually quotes the second half of this verse. Let me show you what's in the first half of the verse. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. What is this word image? It's it's like if you had Play-Doh and you were building a a Play-Doh man, you stick them together, What's the one thing that would be all over the Play-Doh man once you're finished with him? Your fingerprints, right? When God built marriage, he put his image, he put his fingerprints all over it. You know what that means? When your children watch husband and wife, mom and dad, relate to one another, do you know what they're to see? They're to see God's fingerprints. They're to see God's image stamped on that thing. The love, the commitment, the sacrifice, the forgiveness, the patience, the pursuit, all of that should be a reflection of the glory, the image of God. If you go outside today, look up in the sky, there's a big ball of light. What do we call that? What are you looking at? You're looking at sunlight. If you go out tonight at midnight, look up in the sky, you see another big ball of light. What would you be looking at? What would you be looking at? Wouldn't you still be looking at sunlight? Does the moon give off any light of its own? No. The moon's a big rock in the sky. When you look at the moon, what you see is the sunlight reflected off of that moon. You know what your marriage is? It's a moon. Nothing special about you. Nothing special about your marriage. It's just a big rock. God wants to reflect His light off of your marriage. (gasps) I didn't realize it was so significant. 
Yeah, we're asking the question why, then we can get to the question how. Why should you pursue an intimate, permanent, durable relationship? Because you are reflecting the glory of God, male and female. He created them. And as they relate to one another in the context of marriage, it gives the world an opportunity to see something that looks like God. In Ephesians chapter 5, another single guy wrote this about marriage. This mystery is profound. He's like, yeah, my marriage has always kind of been a mystery. I was like, I don't really know how to do it or what's going on. Yeah, God confirms that. It's a mystery. You like mysteries? It tells you a story, but behind that story, there's something else going on, right? You know what's going on behind a marriage? This is what's going on. This mystery is profound. I am saying that it refers to Christ and His church. You know, as a preacher, I'm always looking for a good illustration, right? God did not look at marriage and think, wow, that'd be a great illustration for how Christ relates to His church. It's not the way it worked. Before God created anything, in forethought, He thought, I'm going to send my son to die on a cross to pay the penalty for sin. How will I get them to understand how much pursuit and how much patience and how much forgiveness and how much honor and how much, how much grace it took to do all that? I know I will create a male who will be designed with chemicals in his body, something like um, testosterone. Yeah, let's use that. Bam! And that will make him aggressive. That will make him want to lead a, a relationship. And I, that's what I'll do. I'll make that. And then I'll make this other thing, a beautiful thing, a woman. And she will be wired to respond with love and grace and sweetness and kindness, a lot of stuff that I'm not going to put in him. I'm going to put it in right here. And he's going to learn it by watching her. And he's going to want to change when he sees how beautiful she is. Like, that's what I'll do. And, and so, bam, here comes Adam. Bam, here comes Eve. He starts to pursue a very hard-to-get woman. And she responds. And not only is that the picture of Adam and Eve, that's the picture of every marriage in here. But beyond that picture, do you know what that picture is? Jesus Christ with leadership and love and pursuit goes to win a bride a very hard to get people, the church. And so... He goes after her, but pretty soon she responds when she sees his pursuit of her and how much he loves her and how much he can make her better and wash her and clean her and build her and encourage her and nourish her and cherish her. That's the relationship of Christ to the church. That's the gospel. What's the greatest picture of the gospel? This mystery is profound. I'm saying it is Christ in the church. Paul is talking about marriage all through Ephesians 5. And he said, your marriage matters. It doesn't matter near as much as Christ and the church. That's more profound. My marriage needs the right motivation. And my marriage needs the right 
definition. So let's come up with a definition of marriage. If you took everything the Bible had to say about marriage, it would be summed up in this. Marriage is a holy covenant initiated by God, conditioned on an irrevocable promise to pursue oneness with an imperfect person of the opposite sex for a lifetime for the glory of God. Did you get that? Like, whoa, slow down. Okay, I will. Marriage is a holy covenant. Notice it's not a contract. In America, we think about contracts. You do your part, I'll do mine. Just meet me halfway. You ever heard somebody say that? Have you ever noticed that people that say meet me halfway are often a very poor judge of distance? <laughs> like, dude, you're supposed to come here and you only came here. Well, I think this is halfway. I think that's halfway. And that's where you lose the intimacy in marriage. Marriage is not a contract. It's a covenant between three people. God, husband, wife. And together as they pursue God, they pursue one another. Marriage is a holy covenant. It's initiated by God. God did not just invent and initiate the institution of marriage. God initiated your marriage. He put you together. You say, I wasn't even living for the Lord. I don't even, I think I, met, I got the wrong person. No, when you said I do, they became the right person. And it's initiated by God. You know what that means? God is for your marriage. Because he doesn't want anything to fail he put together. So you have divine resources to draw upon as you pursue one another. It's conditioned on an irrevocable promise. What is that promise? You remember it. For better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, forsaking all others as we long, as long as we both shall live. Remember that? Yeah, but you say, man, I didn't know it was going to be this sick and this poor. Like, I, I, there's got to be another alternative here. No, you said it. You, and what you're saying is we're going through this together. There's no such thing as a perfect marriage. And marriages that stay together and marriages that fall apart essentially face the same problems. The question is, are you going to remember the promise? Now, some people here are living together without making the promise. You say, well, I mean, you wouldn't, you wouldn't buy a car before you test drove it, right? True, because your relationship with your car is a performance-based relationship. But if you have a grace-based relationship, you make the promise and you keep it. You keep loving, you keep forgiving, you keep forbearing because it's based on grace and it's based on an irrevocable promise that you made. Couples that live together have twice as likely a chance of divorce as couples who don't live together. It's reverse logic, isn't it? But it's true. Because what you're saying is, my, my relationship to you is not based upon exclusiveness. It's based on what I can get out of it. And when I can't get what I want out of you, I'll go find somebody else. The promise is a lifetime. Conditioned on an irrevocable promise to pursue oneness. Spiritual oneness, emotional oneness, physical oneness. We'll talk about all of that as we go along in the series. With an imperfect person. No perfect marriages because there are no perfect people. There will be times 
when you are deeply hurt. And it will require deep levels of forgiveness and grace. To pursue oneness with an imperfect person of the opposite sex. Very important. We'll get to that as well. For a lifetime. Interesting. Jesus tells us in Matthew 22, there will be no marriage in heaven. There will be no one given in marriage. Now some of you are like, well, it just wouldn't be heaven unless I was married to my sweetheart. Others of you are like, thank God, man, that sounds more like hell. It's like, like, man, if we can just kind of have a term limits on this thing, it'd be good. Now listen, what, do you understand? Jesus gives us marriage for our temporary time on earth to remind us of what love is like. What, What it's like to be loved by God and forgiven by God and pursued by God. When you get to heaven, you're not gonna need that reminder anymore because you are going to, You're going to have it all from God. For a lifetime, finally, for the glory of God. For the glory of God. The reality is this. My marriage will either display or distort the glory of God. Can I ask you here as we begin the series, which is it? Is your marriage currently displaying or distorting the glory of God? And if the truth were known, there there are people here who are in in desperate straits. You're you're in crisis. The love is gone. Grace is emptied. You've been fighting and quarreling or maybe you gave gave up on that and you just live at opposite ends of your home now. And there's not a whole lot of glory on display in your relationship. You say, what do I do? Let me remind you of one thing that we said earlier. Let your eyes fall back on your Bible in verse 2. Remember what it says. Large crowds followed him and he healed them there. You say, can Jesus heal my hurt? Yes. Bring your marriage to Jesus. Can Jesus heal the bitterness and the resentment, the cynicism I have toward marriage, yes, He can heal you there if you'll bring your marriage to Jesus. Can Jesus heal the loneliness of singleness or even the loneliness living with a cold, unemotional spouse? Yes, He can. Can Jesus heal the shame and the regret of bad decisions and the sexual sin that you've been involved in? Yes, He can. He can heal. He can restore. If you'll let Jesus in the middle of all that's going on in your marriage. There is hope in Jesus Christ, whatever your brokenness may be. Well, today, Pastor Trent Griffith taught us that marriage is the greatest picture of the gospel. And if you'd like to understand more about the gospel and how Jesus Christ heals our ultimate brokenness called sin, we have a book that we'd love to send to you. It's called, What is the Gospel? And we'll send it to you when you email us at resonate at harvestgranger.org. Well, we'd also like to invite you to join us for one of our weekly worship services 
for service times and locations at either our Granger, Indiana campus or our St. Joseph, Michigan campus, visit us online at harvestgranger.org. Thanks again for joining us today. I'm Aaron Paulus, and I hope that God's word will resonate in your heart and mind this week. Resonate is a radio ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel, Granger, harvestgranger.org.